we're reading um, from Luke 1, uh, 26 to 56 this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Okay, well, this morning we are looking at one of those classic Christmas passages, Mary's Song of Praise, uh, the Magnificat, as you may see it titled in some in your Bible. So let's pray, and then we'll consider this beautiful song together. Well, Father, I want to thank you for your word and for the time you've given us today to consider it. Thank you that just as Gabriel told Mary that, that the Lord was with her, so we know you are with us now and always. 
Please would you speak to us afresh this morning. Would you ignite, ignite our hearts with joy, uh, joy that overflows into praise and worship like we see Mary's does in this passage. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I would be totally upfront about it. Um, part of the reason for choosing this passage today is because I've preached on it before uh, a few times. It was actually one of the very first passages I preached at Christ's Community back in the, the lead up to Christmas in 2015, uh, part of the, the Songs of Our Saviour series that year. And, and so that was my initial reason for choosing this passage. But as I've been preparing this week, been looking over my notes and reflecting on these verses and praying about it, come to feel it's not only timely for reasons of convenience, but also because of its wonderful content too. And I don't just mean because it's a Christmas classic. I don't know about you, but by this point in December, uh, I can feel a bit ready for, uh, a, for, for the pace to slow down a little bit. It's been a big year, feel a bit tired, ready for a break. And now there's nothing wrong with a break. That's a good thing to do. Uh, that's an important thing to do from time to time. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed in myself is um, that when I've got a holiday horizon approaching, uh, it can be easy for me to live with that as kind of the, the ultimate treasure in my heart in, uh, rather than anything else. Uh, in fact, I'm, if I'm not careful, I can sometimes look through Christmas to my January holidays as, as a thing I'm, I'm, I really need, rather than delighting again in a God who knew what I most deeply needed and came to be just that. I wonder if you can relate to that this Christmas. Let me read again the opening line of Mary's song, just to get us started today. She sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. What I love about Mary's song, right from the get-go, there's this humility and joy that radiates through it. Uh, it's a song that's full of wonder and worship, and it's a song that not only expresses the feeling that was going on for her, but it's a song that invites us to fully appreciate the significance and magnitude of what was unfolding in this moment in history and to join with her in praise of God for it. And that is my hope for our time this morning, that as we slow down just a bit for, for 20 minutes or so and look at Mary's song again, that it would help us to again marvel at God's great plan for us his great love shown in the gift of his son. Ultimately, we'd be drawn into worship with Mary. Well, in terms of structure, Mary's song follows what's called a psalm of praise. Uh, so it begins with a statement of adoration and praise, and, and we've just seen that. And then what follows are the reasons for this adoration and praise. And so in terms of an outline, I've, I've summarized these under three headings, and we're going to consider them one by one today. Uh, they are firstly the mindfulness of God towards Mary. Now, we see that in verses 48 and 49. Secondly, the, the mercy of God for all. We see her say that in verse 50. And finally, the mighty victory of God's Messiah forever. And that's how I'm, I'm titling and summarizing the, the final verses. Okay, well, as I said, the first reason for Mary's joyful, excited praise for God is because of his mindfulness towards her. Now, let me read the opening verses again. We'll see that together. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Well, in terms of some context, uh, the setting for this song is, of course, Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. Uh, as we heard in the Bible reading, uh, after Mary has this amazing angelic encounter, after she hears she's going to be a mum, uh, she heads straight there to spend some time with Elizabeth, uh, to celebrate with her, and also to see this sign that she's been promised, that elderly Elizabeth is also pregnant. Now, we don't know if Mary sung this, spon this song spontaneously uh, in the moments after Elizabeth and John's sort of Holy Spirit-inspired joyful greeting, but what we do know is that Mary was obviously very familiar with her Bible. Uh, scholars have noted that, that her song is littered with Old Testament references all the way through it. And so it seems clear that during these days as she's traveling the 100 kilometers to Elizabeth's place, uh, she's just turning in over in her mind everything she knew about God. And it was, it was kindling this joy in her heart. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at this account of Mary, I can almost see why God favored her and selected her, right? I mean, she's faithful, available. She offers her willingly, herself willingly at great personal cost to her, her reputation and at risk to her relationship and life. But, but Mary herself corrects our thinking here, doesn't she? She knew she didn't deserve such a privilege. She was merely one of humble estate, a, a nobody from nowhere, just someone in need of a saviour and Lord as she addresses God. And yet he who created all things and sustains all things, he who is utterly perfect and sinless and holy, he who rescued Israel from Egypt with displays of his glory, this mighty holy God of all, he had looked upon her and, and chosen to bless her and use her in his great plan of salvation. When Mary said in verse 48, from now on all the generations will call me blessed, uh, she wasn't being proud. Uh, she wasn't saying that, that people needed to revere her or worship her in some way, that she needed to be thought more highly of. Uh, she was recognising, accepting this amazing privilege and gift God had bestowed on her. Uh, I, th I think we get that God's mindfulness of her just blew her away. So it's the first reason for her joyful praise. Now, these are Mary's words. They're her meditation on God's mindfulness. But I think they invite us to reflect on his, his mindfulness of us too, don't they? We've already been singing about it this morning. But does it blow you away to think that the mighty, holy God of all has a personal interest in you? And notice that uh, it, that he would show it in the most extraordinary way imaginable by coming to earth as this baby in Mary's tummy, by living the perfect sinless life we haven't, from sin and death, so that we might enjoy life forever with him. That is, that is pretty mind-blowing, right? We're going to come back to that in just a bit. But for now, I just want to notice one more thing in regards to God's mindfulness of Mary. Notice God's mindfulness wasn't because Mary offered herself willingly. Uh, instead, Mary offered herself willingly because she knew God was looking out for her and loved her and was mindful of her. 
Um, I wonder how that perspective could help you take a step of faith this Christmas or into the new year. Well, let's now move on to the second reason for her joyful and adoring praise. And we find it in verse 50. It's God's mercy. I'll read the verse again. She sings there, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Well, this year we've already spent a lot of time considering the mercy of God. Uh, in Romans 12 to 16 series at the start of the year, uh, we saw that it was God's mercy to us in Christ that was the basis of our worship for him, our love for him and, and for one another. In our Jesus story series, we saw that it was God's mercy and love that prompted his great plan of salvation. His great plan that climaxed in, the, in deaths, uh, Christ's death and resurrection for us and will culminate in his renewal of all things when Christ returns. In our Jonah series, we were struck again and again by God's mercy to the sinful Ninevites and to Jonah, as we saw God patiently tending to Jonah's unmerciful heart. And most recently, we spent a lot of time reflecting on God's astounding mercy towards King David in light of his despicable sin. In all of these, we've considered time and again the promise that, that Mary joyfully sings here, that God's mercy is available to all who fear him. In other words, to all who turn to the Lord in humble faith, to all who recognise his holiness, who recognise their sinfulness, and who turn to him for mercy on the basis of his promises. Now, on the one hand, we talk about mercy, God's mercy a lot. Uh, it's foundational to who God is, and, and what he offers us in the gospel. And so this is a key and incredibly important thing for us to talk about. That's why we talk about it a lot. But because we talk about mercy a lot, I, th I think it's also possible for the mercy of God to start to lose its wonder a bit. I think it's possible for us to get so familiar and casual with this that we lose sight of just how incredible God's mercy truly is, how hopeless and helpless we would be without it. Well, to try and help us reclaim a little bit of that awe this morning, uh, I want to just share a story of a predicament that I found myself in some years back while traveling, uh, when I sought and was not extended mercy. Uh, I share it to remind us of, uh, of what we deserve to receive from God, to help us see what would things would be like if, if uh, but for God's mercy, if God wasn't merciful. Uh, so this travel predicament, uh, it occurred uh, a few days before Christmas back in 2013. Uh, it was at the end of a week-long trip, business trip that I had to go on to, over to the Philippines. And on the day that I was due to fly home, my flight wasn't until 7pm that night, and the office that I'd been working in was only 25 kilometres from the airport. But I was told that I needed to leave about midday in order to get there in time for my flight. Now, when I commented, I think I must walk it that quickly, uh, what's, what's the deal? They said it was, this was due to very heavy traffic and they encouraged me not to walk it because there'd been some kidnappings that had, had taken place uh, around that time. And so I thought, okay, well, in that case, I will take the advice I've been given and we'll leave at midday with my driver. Well, we got away right on schedule at midday and the, for the first 10 kilometres or so, uh, we were just blitzing along. I thought, man, I'm going to be sitting at the airport for hours. We're making record time here. And then we met the traffic and stopped. Well, 3 p.m. came, and then 4 p.m. came, and 4.30 p.m. came, and 5 p.m. came, and 5.30 p.m. came, 
uh, it was becoming clear I was not going to make this flight. Uh, we, were, we were already in the check-in window and I still couldn't even see the airport and we were barely moving. Well, as it became clear I was going to miss this flight home, I decided my only option was to call the airline and cast myself on them and humbly explain whilst I recognised this was my predicament, it was my fault, uh, and that they had no obligation to help me, I was desperately seeking their mercy. Uh, with three young kids and a wife at home, I needed to get home for Christmas. And my humble pleas for mercy amounted to nothing. Uh, essentially, I was told that if I missed my flight, I needed to buy another one. And I was also told that the next available flight was going to be four or five days after Christmas. Turns out other people wanted to travel and get home for Christmas. Everything before then was totally sold out. And so I sat in that taxi, in the traffic, feeling helpless and hopeless. Now, I think we need to get that God would be right to say no to us. We are responsible for our sin. We have no deservedness of his mercy. And what's more, our sin isn't just the result of some unfortunate circumstances like extra traffic on the highway. It is, in fact, the inexcusable rebellion of us against God, something for which we deserve to live in eternal hopelessness because of. And yet, in spite of that, there is hope because God is merciful. As Mary joyfully sings, his mercy is for all who fear him in every generation. Have you run to God for mercy? Have you accepted what Christ offers you through his death on your behalf? Do you recognize that receiving Christ is the only path to God's mercy? Are you blown away that there is a path to God's mercy? Does it excite and encourage you that there's not a family member we have or a friend we have? There's not a person on earth we could meet for whom God's mercy is not available or sufficient. Should they turn to him in faith? That he loves to show mercy to the repentant sinner. That he will never say no to the repentant sinner. Okay, so that's the second reason for her adoration and praise. And um, just before we move to the third point, um, I should let you know that by the Lord's miraculous provision and by some very sweet driving by my minivan driver, I actually did make the flight in the end. And let's just say I was relieved not to have to call and plead with Deb for mercy for missing Christmas. Uh, well, this brings me to the final reason for her joyful and adoring praise. And we see this through the remaining verses of her song, verses 51 to 55. She sings there, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You probably noticed these verses, they've they actually got some pretty confronting imagery in them. Uh, Mary sings here that those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts, in other words, those who have no fear of God, no love for others, they've been scattered. She points out that the mighty, 
those who sit upon their thrones and use their power to oppress others rather than serve God, they've been brought down. She sings that those who are rich, and I don't think she means every rich person, but I think what she means is that those rich who are secure in themselves, who see no need for God, have no interest in others, they have been sent away empty. But she also sings joyfully that the hungry, they are now well-fed. She says that those of humble estate like her, they have been exalted. She delights in the fact that God has shown strength with his arm in favour of those who fear him, in remembrance of his mercy and in keeping with his covenant promises. Mary is singing here of something termed the great reversal. Uh, the final exercise of God's power where social positions are reversed in favour of those who fear him, when justice is fully restored. The Bible records many instances of God doing this in history, but also consistently promises and points us forward to a day when he will do this once and for all, right? You might think of Jesus' own words about this coming horizon uh, just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 6. There he says to his disciples, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hung are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. As I said, the Bible consistently points us forward to this day when there'll be a full restoration and, and reversal. And so these things, they're consistently promised to happen. But what's a bit confusing here is that Mary worships God for the fact that they have. Uh, she sings there that he has shown strength with his arm, uh, that he has scattered the proud, that he has, he has, he has, right? So we have to ask, well, in what sense have these things happened? I mean, economically, her status hasn't changed at this point. At this stage, Jesus is just a tiny baby in her belly. And as we know, she, she gives birth in a stable, not in a palace. Even after Jesus is born, she, offered, she and Joseph offer the sacrifice of, of two birds. Rather, that's the, the sacrifice was for the poor to offer after the birth of a baby. What's more, just a little while later, Joseph and Mary, they have to bolt to Egypt because evil Herod is still on the throne. So we have to ask, how can she joyfully sing that all of this has, has happened? Well, the key to what's going on is found actually in the verse just before Mary's song. In, in the beatitude or blessing her relative Elizabeth utters as part of her joyful greeting. What does Elizabeth say there? She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, what's going on here is that Mary was believing God's promises about this baby that was now nestled in her womb. That he really was God's promised Messiah and King, as she'd been told he would be. That he really was the one who would rule with righteousness and justice on David's throne forever. That he really was the one who would rule. That he he really was the one who would bring God's blessing to the world forever, as God promised Abraham by covenant so many centuries earlier. And so confident was she that God was faithful to His promises, she could express them vividly as having already taken place. She could sing confidently and joyfully now about the magnificent victory of God's Messiah forever. Okay, so that's, that's Mary's song. 
And as we wrap up this third point, as usual, just a few questions of reflection. Do we, do we trust God's promises like Mary does? Do we believe and delight in the fact he will fulfill all he's promised in his word? That he will bring this great reversal and victory? Do we get that this victory that will be brought by his son is reason for joy because it's as good as done? Well, we began today by considering the first line of Mary's song and then we considered the reasons for her joy and praise. And as we've walked through these reasons one by one, we've recognised they're not only reasons for her to praise and adore God, they're, they're also reasons for joy and adoration in our hearts too. Well, to finish up this morning, I just want to double down on that. I actually want to make the case, if Mary had reason for humility and wonder and worship and joy in that moment 2,000 years ago, we have all the more reason today. And the reason is simple. Because you see, Mary, whilst Mary knew her son would be the Messiah and bring a mighty victory, and whilst Mary knew that God was merciful, that his mercy was for all, and whilst Mary knew that she was mindful of, that he was mindful of her amidst her, despite her humble estate, and that he had granted her this special role in his plan of salvation, She didn't know what we do now. She didn't know that this great plan of salvation would entail the mighty, holy God of all, not only coming to earth as the Messiah himself, but that it would involve him giving his life in our place, dying the death we deserve, rising again from the grave, so that he might be both just and merciful, so that he might offer us forgiveness and life. And let's remember how the Bible describes our state when our mighty, holy God did that for us. I mean, we weren't just humble and lowly, right? The Bible says we were dead, dead in our sins. I just, um, no, we know these words well, but just listen as I read Apostle Paul's words from Ephesians 2 one more time. He says there, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We may not have had the honour of giving birth to the saviour of the world but we have been showered with grace that is equally and immeasurably incredible. There is no better possible expression of the Lord's mindfulness towards us than what he has already given us in Jesus. How might the truths that we've considered this morning and the words of Mary's song fuel your heart and worship in the lead up to this Christmas? How might the truths that we've considered this morning, the words of Mary's song, enable you to find rest and, and refresh this Christmas? Whether you do or don't have formal holidays, whether they do or don't go according to plan. How might these truths that we've considered and the words of Mary's song fuel your missional living this Christmas? 
I mean, we might take a break from work, but we don't stop being ambassadors for Christ, right? That wraps up our time in Mary's song. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your incredible mindfulness, your mercy and your mighty acts in history and in our lives. None more so than bringing our wonderful saviour into this world to give his life for us. Now we confess it's so easy to lose sight of just how much you love us, just how certain are your promises. Thank you so much for the reminder of that this morning through these, this passage. May our lives magnify you and reflect the joy we have in you now and always. And as always, we pray this for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen.